It's Friday, time for the Block Party DFS show with one week seasons, JM to win. You know the drill. We walk through this slate, high level overview, then we'll go position by position, looking at the best GPP plays. And then we will build a lineup on DraftKings with some of JM's favorite building blocks for the week 10 slate. I'm Pete. Let's do it. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levin Chan. Bullshit. I just go. All right, JM, we are back for week 10. Uh, as always, how uh, how did your week nine go? It was CJ Stroud explosion week. I, I won't forget. Yeah, that. it was um, it was CJ Stroud explosion week. And, and for me, it was find a way to be profitable without CJ Stroud, which isn't an easy task, but I found a way to do it. So um, kind of a funny week. Actually, I talked about this on on Winter Circle. I'll spend a, a quick moment with this. I talked last week on Winter Circle about I've had a few times this year where um, somebody I, I respect, somebody who's really sharp has presented a negative data point and I'm listening to something on Friday or Saturday and it's a negative data point on a player I really liked. And I've latched onto that negative data point and been like, oh, okay, I'm not going to play this guy. And one of the things I talked about in the Winter Circle podcast last week where we talked DFS strategy, theory, training, and I said, you know, negative data points are just a reason why this player might miss, but also positive data points are a reason why this player might hit. So don't get too, too married to negative data points. So I talked about that last week, encouraged uh, Inner Circle members to keep that in mind. And then CJ Stroud was kind of bumping back and forth between 10% of my pool and 0% of my pool. And I started digging into the, the Texan scoring numbers, their red zone touchdown rate, the Bucks red zone touchdown rate. Uh, Bucks had the best red zone touchdown defense in the NFL. And I started being like, okay, both teams are going to move the ball, but probably neither team is going to score a touchdown because of these red, down, red zone touchdown rates. Um, Last round of that negative data point ended up going 0% Stroud instead of 10%. But, um, but yeah, still ended up profitable. I had Noah Brown was my fourth highest dollar investment nice. wide receiver. Um, CeeDee Lamb was on 77% of my rosters. Dak Prescott was on uh, 35 to 40%. So I wasn't that far behind the field, had a lot of Cole Komet, had a lot of Jake Ferguson. So uh, not quite the Dalton Schultz and CJ Stroud scores, but I was close enough that I was able to make make up for it, uh, have a somewhat nice weekend. Um, what about you? I know you had a big a big uh, weekend in the under underdog streets. Yeah, I, I did have uh, on, on DFS. I did have a CJ Stroud double stack with, Ooh, nice. um, uh, that had Dalton Schultz in the lineup. So I had a pretty good day there, you know, like top 100 in the spy, not, you know, the top zero one percent I needed. But yeah, really good day on Battle Royale. Uh, I had two teams that were both CJ Stroud, Tank Dell, Dalton Schultz, double stacks and kind of various configurations around there. Uh, I was in line uh, to win. I was in first place for a while and then CD Lamb eclipsed my AJ Brown. So didn't get the win but hey two in the top 10 definitely one of my best weeks of the season and so uh can't complain about that but one thing you said in about the like weighing negative uh data points versus positive that really stuck with me because i think for someone like you and a lot of the top players who have like a very defined process and you're confident in your process and you're good at blocking out the noise that's a little easier i think for a lot of times for people who maybe get most of their information by consuming content you get this like whiplash factor and you're constantly having to calibrate those data points. And I think that's kind of something I took away and something now that I've developed more of a process where it's easier to kind of block out some of that noise when you feel really confident 
in the data points that you value. And obviously you got to know is the stuff you're valuing correct. But I just think there's a tendency sometimes because we're all impressionable by default. You hear a smart person. Right. Yeah. You're like, well, now I want to be on that. And then you hear another one make a counterpoint. You're like, wait, now I want to be on that. And I think it's just a good note for how impressionable and how much recency bias can kind of plague us as we're consuming all of this info. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the um, documentary this summer with, about the Johnny Manziel situation. Mm-hmm. And there was the thing about how his parents didn't have oil money. And that was just a story they spun as as to why he had all this money that he'd had from signing autographs. And I remember like you hear that one time from a reputable news source and you're just like, oh, well, you know, like that, that sinks into your consciousness of this is the story behind this guy. And I started through that noticing all these other places where my opinions or thoughts on public figures were really defined by like one thing I had heard about them. And so you recognize that that same sort of uh, fault in our, in our minds gets pulled in with DFS where you hear this one negative thing about a player or a situation or a team, and you can lean so far into that, 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 that it ends up taking you away from the opportunities to hit the upside. So uh, yeah. And I don't know, you know, for me, I've been a bubble builder for so long and this year is really the first year that I've pulled in a lot of additional listening to podcasts, you know, PFF shows and uh, Chris Sims stuff and some other like quarterback guru people. And uh, Lord Reeves has a show with Hilo every week on, on OWS. And so kind of like consuming a lot more content from other places and recognizing that the value is pulling those pieces in as just a, a small portion of the pool and then balancing that off of what you already know. But yeah, that negative data point factor is certainly a strong one where it's happened to me at least two times this year where I got off of a player that I was going to be somewhat heavy on and got completely off them because of one negative data point that someone I respect mentioned. And so it was like, oh, okay, well, let me latch onto that. So uh, yeah, we live and we learn uh, last week, kind of taught that, taught that lesson and then fell into that trap myself. But, um, but yeah, it was, and you know, it was a, a good week for battle Royale last week because it was like, things were really clumped up. And so you're able to say, well, if everything's clumped up, then who are kind of the people that, that no one's really paying a lot of attention to uh, this week is a little bit different in that it's not so much that things are clumped up, but it's like, there's maybe five or six games that could actually end up being really interesting this week. And so uh, sort of a similar setup where uh, finding some games to build around. In fact, this week, my player grid is going to be extremely game centric in terms mm-hmm. of uh, how, how I'm approaching my builds, what I feel the edges are on this particular week. It reminds me of, of the week earlier in the year where I had 80% Kyron Williams, 80% Puka Nakua, 80% Tutu Atwell. And basically saying like, they're not, not all three of them are going to hit, but probably two of them will hit. And I will have those two on a roster together because the way I'm mixing and matching things. So there are kind of some, some cheat code approaches this week in terms of uh, layering in some, some floor and ceiling before you put in the piece around it. So yeah, really looking forward to this week. I think it's another good week for battle Royale stuff. Another good week for DFS play in terms of just finding an edge on the field. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, even just like from a high level here, as I pull up the Fantasy Life Game Hub to let us kind of scope out some of these games. I mean, this week we have four games with a total over 45. And in previous weeks, we've had one game over a total of 45. So that would be uh, the Texans Bengals, although we'll have to talk about some of the injury situations that are popping up in that game. We have the Niners and Jags here sitting at 45. Of course, the Lions at the Chargers is the highest total. 48 and a half. And then it looks like this Washington commander, Seattle Seahawks one just came down. It was at 45 uh, earlier when I looked, it's at 44 and a half now, but those were the four that stood out to me. Any other thoughts on kind of like the high end game environments this week? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't even include the, the Cowboys, you know, who obviously are implied to score the most points on the slate, which, you know, there's, there's a lot that we'll need to talk through there. 
in terms of what that might mean. Um, you know, Tennessee and Tampa, you've got a, a Tampa team you can't run the ball against, and typically teams bias heavily toward the pass. The Titans have been one of the, the few teams that actually doesn't change their approach based on matchup. So typically you can see a team playing the Eagles, playing the Bucks, and you automatically know they're going to throw the ball more than they typically do. That's not necessarily the case for Tennessee. And this year teams have been attacking Tennessee on the ground more than we're used to, but that is a game where you could see something interesting develop in that one. Atlanta at Arizona with Kyler Murray there, super broad range of outcomes type of game. We have uh, funny, uh, anybody watching this um, post live knows that Arthur Smith was the cover boy hmm. for this week's show. Uh, you emailed to ask who we wanted on the cover. And I, I just kind of thought it would be funny to do Arthur Smith and you emailed back and you said, if I didn't hear from you, I was going to do Arthur Smith. So um, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that game for sure. But, uh, and, and then, yeah, I mean, in terms of what could happen, what could totally separate from the slate, that, that Washington Seattle game stands out as one where it's like, uh, Detroit and the Chargers, San Francisco and, and Jacksonville is actually somewhat like shootout potential. Detroit and the Chargers probably doesn't become like a true shootout shootout. And so then if it becomes one of these like 27 to 24 games or 30 to 27 games, but another game turns into a true shootout with cheaper players, uh, which could be the case in that Jacksonville game or in this Seattle game, uh, then that one could really separate from the field. So yeah, just a lot of interesting stuff to poke around on this week. Yeah, there there are a lot of angles. Let's like real quick on some of the macro injury stuff um because a lot of people had interest in this Bengals Texans game, right? Bengals one of the hottest teams in football. Then you got the Texans who are the story of week 9. CJ Stroud looks great. Everyone's getting ready to pile into this game and then it's like, all right, no T Higgins. Jamar Chase looks iffy. Uh Nico Collins is uh trending in the wrong direction. Has these injuries taken you off of being excited about this game environment? Were you from the beginning or is there now new opportunity and value opening up that you like here? I was excited about this game environment from the beginning for the fact that I thought that the field would be too excited about it. So uh, the injuries kind of disappoint me a little bit just because I think that will pull people off the game. And, yeah. you know, this Bengals defense, anybody you listen to who pays close attention to all 32 teams We'll tell you right now that the Bengals are probably the best team in the NFL. Obviously, it doesn't look like that record-wise, but in terms of being able to go on a neutral field and who would be favored in any matchup, the Bengals are right there at the very top. Uh, and this defense, you know, started out really slowly, but it's really rounded in a form. DJ Reader is playing a lot better. Uh, there's a couple other guys on the defense who were playing poorly to start the year, playing a lot better now. And uh, you know that Lou Anarumo defense is going to throw so many things at a quarterback that they're just not used to seeing. So CJ Stroud, you know, up at this what is it, seven six point nine k price tag. And you have a guy who, you know, 20 points, 22 points, 24 points, 25 points, 17 points. Uh, and then all of a sudden has this 46 pointer and everybody's going to want to jump on it because it just happened. And it was 5% owned. So a lot of people missed out on it. Um, so I was kind of expecting that people would not, not to say that Stroud can't hit here, but just to say that the chances were going to be lower that people were going to give it credit for, you know, implied team total opened this week. At, I think it was 19.5 was where they opened this week at. And so um, not really a super exciting spot for the Texans. And I kind of thought that people would just get overexcited about that game environment. Um, you know, with the injuries, uh, Nico Collins, I don't know how much that changes, right? Robert Woods should come back. Not to say that Robert Woods is in the same league, but just to say that like Tank Dell then moves up a rung on the ladder and Noah Brown moves up a rung on the ladder. And um, those guys really have been, you look at the targets, those guys really have been 1A, 1B, 1C. So it's not like they've had a clear number one wide receiver. So um, I think that, you know, there's still opportunity for the Texans if they were going to have a good game to still have a good game because 
uh, you've got Tank Dell there. You've got uh, Noah Brown, who's you know really a, a solid number three, not a, not a number two. But um, given the way that they designed this offense, they can get stuff done. They still have Dalton Schultz. Uh, still can't run the ball. So uh, certainly opportunity there if you liked it before to still like it. Uh, on the Bengals side, I, I really like Jamar Chase in insofar as I don't think people will feel comfortable playing him. And if T Higgins is out, we've seen it. You know, this team is highest in the NFL and pass rate over expectation. They're not going to say, okay, well, let's just be conservative and run the ball. And, and that just means more targets for Jamar Chase. Typically Uh, it's not a, it's not a a muscle issue in the back. It's a, it's a back bruise, which um, if it were like a back that's seized up, you know, have you ever had like an actual tight back where you're like, where it's locked up and you're like, this is crazy. Like I, I cannot, I can't move without immense pain. I can't, I don't have range of motion. Um, you know, if it were something like that, then you you're at risk of these setbacks. You're at risk of like him being out there as a decoy. When you're talking about like a severe bruise of like a severe injury, right. But it's not like musculature. Then it's not something that I don't think he can play through if he, if he's out there. So I would expect to see somewhat normal Jamar chase. And if I'm wrong, I'm willing to lose because of that. Um, in, the, in that I think that people will be afraid to pull the trigger on it. So I think that the ownership will be a little bit lower than it necessarily should be. So I'm kind of excited about that spot with T. Higgins out. Obviously, Trenton Irwin going to be on the field a lot. Um, Tyler Boyd will probably draw some attention, you know, not not yeah. a ton of stealing. Um, kind of in that, you know, he's in the same price range as Michael Thomas and kind of in the same type of scoring range as Michael Thomas. You throw out Michael Thomas's game last week and it's like 10 to 13 points or 10 to 16 points every week, whatever it's been. So um, yeah, I would, I would kind of put Boyd in that same bucket, but, um, yeah, I think chase becomes interesting with the, uh, injury to T Higgins. Yeah. And I think, I think you're spot on too, about just sentiment on Jamar chase. I, I always like using the underdog drafts as a sentiment index and Jamar chase was opening up as the one Oh one or one Oh two. Um, most of this week, him and CMC flip-flopping. And then as this stuff is mounted, he's just been slipping and I've seen him slip to one Oh eight, one Oh nine. And that kind of general sentiment tends to carry over into how people feel about it, uh, with DFS. So unless he gets in, he did get the official, uh, questionable tag. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that's going to carry over and I would be shocked if he gets, uh, crazy steamed, uh, with people spooked there. Let's transition over to quarterback, uh, pretty wide open week at quarterback with no Lamar, uh, no Hertz, no Mahomes. It does look like, you know, Joe Burrow is going to be one of the most popular quarterbacks on the slate. You got Dak Prescott here, but maybe concerns about if he's going to be pushed, um, with them being such big favorites. And then you got some sub six K guys that are all very interesting here. Where, where would you like to start at quarterback this week? Well, I'm going to have a very narrow, uh, quarterback pool this week. So I'm going to have a little bit of Burrow. I'm going to have a little bit of Dak, but they're going to be kind of secondary pieces for me. Uh, Burrow, it's just about, you know, he has a 35-pointer last year, the 42-pointer last year. Everything else is kind of in this, his good games, you know, his elite games are in this 27 to 30-point range. I believe it's uh, since the start of last year, he's gone for 27-plus points seven times. And five of those have been in kind of this 27 to 30-point range where you're getting what you need at his price tag. Uh, when he has those types of games, Jamar Chase hits in those games. So I can kind of get my burrow exposure through Jamar Chase and Jamar Chase has plenty of instances of hitting without uh, without uh, Joe Burrow also hitting. Uh, Dak Prescott will have a little bit of him just because I do want to account for the fact that the Cowboys have been more pass heavy since they came out of the bye, right? And I've rostered CeeDee Lamb twice since the start of last year. Uh, he's put up 28 points, 28 plus points four times since the start of last year. Two of those were the last two weeks. So why was I on him? 
never rostering him, you know, leading up to the last two weeks. And then I was on him the last two weeks. Well, coming into that Rams game, it was like, well, you you know, the Rams have been putting up points. So the Cowboys will probably be more proactively aggressive. Uh, They, you know, recognize that they need to emphasize CeeDee Lamb a little bit more with Michael Gallup out targeting him the last game before the bye. So I felt confident enough to take some shots on CeeDee Lamb. And then then you're playing the Eagles where you know you have to score points and you can't run the ball. And, you know, you're going to say, well, hey, let's just keep focusing on CeeDee Lamb. So, um, yeah, this is kind of one of these weird spots where my my inclination is to go back to like kind of like I did with Keenan Allen earlier this year, caught those two monster Keenan Allen games. And it was like, you know what? I'm off the Keenan Allen train like this. This isn't why he produced isn't the reason why he should continue to produce, um, which is what I expect here. If the Cowboys dominate, they probably go go more run leaning. Um, there is, however, a component of, you know, the Rams is a game where you could have justified going more run leaning. And so maybe the Cowboys do come out more aggressive to start this game. There's not a lot to love at the high end of the, the price ranges at wide receivers. So a little bit of CeeDee Lamb um, and, and Dak Prescott. But yeah, my core at quarterback is uh, Brock Purdy, Sam Howell, and um, who's the other one? Who, what's this other game that I'm I'm missing here? Uh, well, let's start with, well, Jared Goff. So Jared Purdy, Goff. Uh, Purdy Howell and Goff um, and, and playing around with Kyler Murray being um, – rostered at the same level as Jared Goff, but uh, we'll get to Purdy a little bit more when we get to the building blocks, spoiler alert. Um, right, there we go. We'll get to him a little bit more when we get to the running backs as well, actually, because there are some interesting components with that 49ers offense with Brock Purdy, but um, he'll be my my highest owned quarterback this week. And then Howell probably second highest owned and then Goff. And then maybe, you know, this is Friday, so things can change, but this is what yeah. I expect right now. Um, Goff and then, and then potentially Kyler up there in that Goff range. Uh, let me ask you because a guy I'm pretty interested in on the opposite side of Howell, and I, I like this entire game environment and I've been drafting it both ways, but, uh, I assume the Geno Smith omission, uh, there is purposeful. Those guys priced, you know, within a hundred dollars of each other. So what is the, uh, what's the thought on Howell over Geno for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, Geno has, since the start of last year, he has five games of, of 24 plus DraftKings points, mm-hmm. um, to put that in perspective, uh, Brock Purdy has played 14 games, you know, and has five of 24 plus DraftKings points. So Gino doesn't hit at the rate that people think he hits at. Um, and his good games have been in this, like, barely get there, right? The 26 pointers, the 27 pointers. So I will have, like, I'll have some Trevor Lawrence this week because I'll have so much Brock Purdy uh, in MME play. I'll have some Gino Smith because I have, I'll have so much Sam Howell. I'll have potentially even a little bit of Justin Herbert because I'll have so much Jared Goff, but those guys are going to be played more as like, okay. And there's this alternate way this game could play out where this guy on the other side could hit. When you have this Washington team that wants to throw the ball so much, and we know with Seattle, they need their opponent to be the driver of the game environment. So to me, because Seattle is the more reactionary team and because uh, Seattle can run the ball against Washington teams do run the ball against Washington teams don't bias toward the air, even though Washington's so bad against the pass, uh, teams don't bias their attacks toward the air against Washington. Seattle, we know, doesn't bias their attack toward the air. So uh, it's this sort of setup where if Geno's having a big game, I'm comfortable saying that Howell probably has a bigger game. Um, so I can get my Geno exposure through my heavy Howell exposure. And if Howell's having a bad game, then Geno's underwhelming as well, because there's almost no scenario in which a Seattle quarterback has a monster game without the opponent scoring points. Um, so there could be the scenario where maybe Howell gets a bunch of yards and then the touchdowns flow through Brian Robinson and, and Washington's putting up points. It's forcing Seattle to be aggressive and Gino has a big game that way. But generally speaking, the 
a Seattle quarterback's not going to have a big game under Pete Carroll unless the opposing team is putting up points. And yep. given how much Washington passes, if the opposing team is putting up points, uh, I'll put my money on on Sam Howell there. Yeah, and I think that is a good thought, and I that stuck with me, something you said about Seattle in general, right? Like, if you are going to play that through the passing game, you're probably going to want a couple pieces on the commanders because it's probably going to be where this game just goes nutty and Pete's forced to to unleash it here. Um, it was just attractive to me in that, you know, the commanders' secondary has been really bad. We haven't really seen it come together for the Seahawks. And then you look at their talent, though, at wide receiver. Uh, they are now going three deep. JSN leading them in receiving last week. It seems like this could be the spot. But, yeah, I don't know how much of it is me wish casting it being the spot and how good it is. Do you? Uh, we'll, we'll save it a little bit for the running back, but it sounds like maybe you're leaning to playing Seattle through uh, Kenneth Walker. Or are you kind of off that in general? No, I mean, I'll have some – I'll have to bring back. The interesting thing about Seattle is, you know – and and I was looking at, you know, Friday morning, I look at ownership projections for the first time um, and looked like Gino was was trending as one of the most popular quarterbacks. But DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett weren't trending as being among the most popular wide receivers. So I don't I don't know what the thought process is for people there of how Gino puts yeah. up a tournament winner um, and, and his wide receivers don't. But, you know, since the start of last year, DK Metcalf, you know how many times he's topped 20.2 DraftKings points? Twice. Twice, two times since the start of last year, he's dropped, and, you know, he's, you're talking about paying almost 7K for a player who uh, has stopped 20.2 two times and no games over 30. Um, Lockett, only two games north of 23 DraftKings points. Uh, both of those went for 30. So, and, you know, he's a little bit cheaper and he's gotten that 30 point threshold. Not to say that DK can't get to that 30 point threshold, but just it's an interesting spot where um, we tend to see higher ownership on these guys than their production has warranted in this often same thing on, on Gino in these spots. So, um, you know, I like JSN because he's getting the targets. He's kind of this, like we, we talk about like floor doesn't matter for winning a tournament, but it does matter because, you know, if you get the floor game, it's not like that's helping you in a tournament, obviously it craters your roster a little less, but for ceiling to hit, you typically need the, a big play or a touchdown or multiple touchdowns. Right. But if you have a guy with a low floor, and he gets a touchdown or the big play, like that still might not be enough because it's just springing up from this low floor. Whereas if you have a guy with a pretty high floor and then he gets the, the extra touchdown or he gets that extra big play that you don't typically expect, well, now he already has this high baseline. And so he's able to kind of like, you know, if Michael Thomas, uh, it's 9.5 to 13.2 points in every game for Michael Thomas, except last week, you know, if he suddenly comes out and has a two touchdown game, well, he has such a high floor of production that you know, or this like one busted play that goes for a big game um, and a touchdown, like all of a sudden he's getting you 22, 25 points um, because that floor is so high. So I like JSN's usage recently, uh, pre-touchdown PPR points per game across his last four. He's averaging 9.5, which means he should be priced, you know, around 4.7K, 4.8K. So um, yeah, I like JSN as kind of the the piece in that game. And I'm sure I'll have some lock. I'm sure I'll have some uh, DK Metcalf. I, I don't expect to, you know, run it through the backfield, but um, yeah, yeah, it's just an, it's an interesting spot where, yeah, if I'm playing, if I'm playing Washington, I'm betting on this game staying close and Seattle pieces coming into play, but it'll be all those Seattle pieces will be played as a result of playing Washington, not as a result of saying, Hey, these guys could hit this week and uh, sort of isolating them as one-offs. One other quarterback I want to ask you about, and we mentioned him a little bit, um, is Kyler coming back. Um, you know, he's a really interesting decision point. He feels a little to me like uh, last week with Deshaun Watson, where the news breaks just a little later in the week to where a lot of the content and a lot of people are, you know, starting the week thinking like, all right, this guy's in play, which always adds a little bit of an ownership discount. But how are you thinking about Kyler's ceiling and just his overall spot here? 
Well, you know, we don't, it's a totally new offense. It's a new offense for Kyler too. You would have to expect, you know, typically ACL, not, not that a quarterback needs that knee range of motion quite as much as like a running back, but uh, typically you see like two years before the ACL is really back to normal. Um, probably not seeing Kyler running a ton, probably seeing a little bit of rust. We see this when a quarterback has a year long layoff. So um, yeah, we can, we can create negative data points that say Kyler will probably underwhelm in this spot. At the same time, we're talking about a guy who really like looked pretty bad last year compared to how he had looked in the past. And he's still uh, talking about Gino putting up 24 plus points only five times since the start of last year. Uh, Kyler did it four times in 10 games last year. Um, and, you know, actually it was 23.9 points for, for Kyler, but you basically that 24 plus point range, he did it four times in 10 games. Brock Purdy's done it five times in 14 games. Uh, Geno Smith, you know, five times in 25 games. Um, so yeah, when you look at what Kyler's capable of doing, very interesting. Uh, Hollywood Brown had seven games with Kyler last year. I know trending toward being super popular, so I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, pulling anything special in here, but seven games with Kyler last year, he had double digit DraftKings points in all seven of them. He had 20 plus in three of those seven, he had 31 points in one of those. So, uh, yeah, it's just a spot where you, you introduce Kyler into this offense. You can't run against Atlanta. So I'm sure the Cardinals will still try to be balanced, but ultimately you end up having to throw the ball and, um, Hollywood Brown and Trey McBride and Michael Wilson, all very interesting this week. Kyler interesting as well. All right, before we move on to running back, do want to mention uh, the good folks at OWS uh, continue ratcheting up the discount as the weeks uh, fly by here of the NFL season. You can now get up to 50% off of your one-week season DFS and inner circle subs with the new code PETE. 50. Pete 50 here will get you 50% off. That'll, of course, get you access to the scroll. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of content on the site. Get to see JM's player grid, all the different ways he is attacking this slate from both a building block perspective as well as his player pool for single entry and three max contests. Always something I like to reference as well as the uh, Sunday morning update. I always like getting your updated thoughts there as well. So check that out. Pete 50 will get you 50% off over at one week season. Jam, let's head to running back uh, this week. We do have Christian McCaffrey on this slate. We have Austin Eckler on the slate. Camara, who's cooled off a little bit. Barkley, Henry. Can we go back to Tony Pollard and Bijan Robinson for the, the ninth time and get burned again? Um, all kinds of different ways to go here. Both the Lions backs here popping. So uh, which direction do you want to steer us here at running back? Running back's interesting. I, I did a set of practice builds on Tuesday night and ended up with a pool of three running backs. Okay. <laughs> because you could like narrow it down that small, but then you could also justify having a pretty broad pool because nothing really pops as nothing really pops as like something that's going to go forex its salary. It would not surprise me if zero running backs this week go forex their salary or higher. So then you could justify doing, you see big T, big T do this a lot where it's like, well, DraftKings is PPR scoring. So let me take the cheapest running backs, right? Let me take Najee Harris and somebody else down here and then be able to fit in as many of these high-priced wide receivers as I can. Although of course, as we already said, like the high-priced wide receivers are somewhat thin this week as well, which we'll, we'll get to obviously here in a minute. But um, so yeah, running back, it's almost like you don't want to overspend you know, for like a three X score, but then at the same time, it's like, well, if three X score is the best that anybody's getting at running back, you know, or if, if nobody's getting a raw 25 point score, then that becomes pretty valuable. So yeah, running back, very interesting situation this week. So one of the things that I want to lean into, 
uh, every time this year that Christian McCaffrey has cracked 26 points, uh, every time this year that he's cracked 26 points, he's done it three times. Uh, every time that has happened, Purdy plus a pass catcher has also hit, which makes sense because Christian McCaffrey does not have the role that he had with the Panthers. He's not a 10 to 14 target guy in this offense. In fact, he's averaging, uh, I'll just scroll too far down in my notes to find it, but it's like 17 point something carries per game and like 5.6 targets per game, or maybe even less than that. So it, it's not like he's seeing, like his workload lines up with, uh, pretty similarly to like Travis Etienne for one, but then it's not too far off of Bijan Robinson, who's getting a few fewer carries per game and kind of the same number of targets per game uh, at a much cheaper price tag. So what you're betting on with CMC is like the 49ers offense having a really good game and McCaffrey being in position to score all these touchdowns. And uh, when that happens, the 49ers passing attack is also doing really well. So it's an interesting spot where a lot of people isolate CMC, play him as a one-off, whereas I'm going to be looking at this and saying, let me take advantage of what it typically means when Christian McCaffrey hit. So um, Christian McCaffrey plus Ayuk had, plus Purdy, obviously, uh, but Christian McCaffrey plus Ayuk had a game where uh, they kept you on a 188 point pace. Christian McC uh, McCaffrey and Ayuk and Purdy had a game where they kept you on a 220 point pace. Uh, Christian McCaffrey and Kittle and Ayuk had a game where they kept you on a 193 point pace. So um, yeah, I'm going to be kind of mixing and matching a lot of these Christian McCaffrey plus Purdy plus pass catcher types of setups with my Christian McCaffrey builds. Uh, nice little edge, I think, that we can find there. Then down to the rest of the running back list for me, it's um, right now my list is nine guys, and it's kind of the the nine guys you would probably expect. Um, this is not in pricing order, just in the order that I have them listed in my notes, but uh, Tony Pollard, Bajon Robinson, Joe Mixon, Rashad White, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Chris McCaffrey, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, um, probably playing Eckler primarily with my Lions builds. Um yeah, that's really about, I mean, that's about the notes on that. Yeah, uh, I do love that note about CNC too, because I just think with his salary, as you said, people normally are like, oh, this will be my exposure and I'll just play it to he has the yeah. monster game and not kind of realizing that rising tide lifts all boats element. Um, how are you thinking about the Lions backfield? Because this what I feel like is a kind of an, of an interesting riddle. You got a really good game environment. At least that's what the total is pointing us to. Jameer Gibbs looked awesome when he had the backfield to himself. Now you get David Montgomery back and everyone's wondering, can they put the Gibbs usage back in the bottle? Uh, are we just going back to the old ways with David Montgomery here, you know, earning a big workload or has Gibbs kind of wrestled away more than maybe he did at the beginning of the season? Yeah, I won't. I won't spend time trying to talk anybody off that backfield. I won't. I don't expect to. I should say I don't expect to be playing it myself. Uh, those are really high price tags on a split split backfield where, um, you know, like the David Montgomery role. Obviously, he's more capable of catching passes than Jamal Williams was. They're going to use him a little bit more in that regard than they did with Jamal Williams. But still, like the Jamal Williams role, the big games are typically going to be 22, 23 points. Um, we get tricked by the David Montgomery 37 pointer this year. You look at something like that and you say like, oh, this guy's going to keep doing this, but but more than likely he won't, right? That's the one time he's going to have a score like that. And so you're like, do I want to pay 7K for, you know, 15 to 22 points if everything comes together? Probably not. And then Jameer Gibbs, you know, I just, I don't think that this is a spot where they say, all right, Montgomery, you're on the sideline now. The Coaches, teams, they don't care about stats. They couldn't care less about stats. They care about winning games. And so um, Lions Super Bowl aspirations, like they're trying to say, how do we keep mixing in our weapons, keep the defense off balance? So uh, it's not like they're going to say, oh, now Jam Jameer Gibbs is getting all the touches. Still going to be David Montgomery as a big part of this offense. So 
Um, no, just at those price tags, it's not it's not particularly attractive to me. What about Bijan Robinson? We got Arthur Smith on the cover. Bijan, despite you know uh, continuing to get yanked around at the goal line, Arthur always coming up with new players to give goal line touches to. It seems like the field's a glutton for punishment because I'm looking at some early ownership here. He seems like he's going to be north at 20% in small field stuff. Uh, Bijan Robinson at $6,000. What does that make you feel? Man, I love Arthur Smith. Like, I wouldn't want him to be the head coach of a team that I'm a fan of, but I just love, I love watching his press conferences because um, he's always like going out of his way to school the Twitter film geeks and going out of his way to school PFF and talk about what they're wrong about. Uh, the PFF guys are always trying to dunk on Arthur Smith. Uh, yeah, Arthur Smith is not, you know, last week we talked about Shane Steichen and Jim Bob Cooter constantly being asked about Jonathan Taylor's usage. And it was like, this probably leads to more Jonathan Taylor usage. Um, Arthur Smith is not that kind of coach. No. <laughs> if anything, he's the kind of guy who's like, everyone's asking me about Bijan Robinson's usage. Well, let me show you how Jonu Smith can score this touchdown. Um, yeah, he could try to win this game by blatantly not giving Robinson opportunities to score touchdowns. At the same time, you know, carries don't matter as much for running backs as targets. And Robinson's averaging 5.1 targets per game on the season, obviously we throw out his, his migraine game, his headache game, whatever that was, um, you know, to put that in context, Pollard 4.2, Rashad White, who we think of as this like guy who catches all these passes, 4.3, Mixon 3.8, uh, ETN 4.4, CMC, here we go, here's CMC's number, 4.6 targets per game. So um, yeah, I mean, Bajan Robinson seeing 5.1 targets per game, that's awesome. One of the problems is he's scoring 1.17 pre-touchdown points per target. 1.17, that puts him way behind Rashad White at 1.8, Travis Etienne at 1.5, CMC at 1.65. So um, yeah, it just hasn't been that effective when he's getting these targets. But at his price tag in this matchup, it's one of those where I don't want to overthink it. It's it's just like, it's a thin running back week, right? And Bajon Robinson had those three games earlier this year of 20 plus points. And now we've had all this sort of weird stuff that's happened. And then we had the, the headache game where, People rostered him and, and fantasy teams had him and all that, right? And then he got one touch. So then that kind of started this negative mindset trend toward Bijan Robinson. Uh, then the next game, I believe, was a blowout loss. And then the next game was um, this last week where whatever it is, like a sequence of, oh, where he had the fumble and then like, you know, didn't play large chunk of the second half. So it's like th this can bounce back to a spot where he's getting 20 to 25 points on a week where you probably don't get many 4X running back scores. So I don't want to overthink it. He's just going to be in my in my player pool and be kind of mixed in at the same level as as just about anybody else. What are your thoughts on Rashad White? He's looking like he's going to be one of the most popular plays here. Tennessee has been, you know, tougher against the run than they have the past, but Rashad White's workload has been really really good. Basically no competition for touches. Uh how do you feel about people gravitating to him at 5800? Yeah. I mean, he was, I think the number two running back in my, my pool last week. He's not, he's not in that type of situation this week to where I'm like, Oh, I've got to get on Rashad white, but he's certainly in the mix for me where it's funny. Tennessee has actually faced the fewest running back targets in the entire NFL, but it's not because they're so good against running back. It's just that they're, they're bad enough against wide receivers that teams aren't typically having to check it down. So, um, you know, he has schemed usage in the passing game, but mostly it's kind of like, oh, the wide receivers aren't open. He's the third read. Let's go to him. So I see this, you know, he has these six, seven target games. He has these three, four target games. I see this more as one of those three to four target games, but 
he's effective on his targets. In fact, in terms of uh, pre-touchdown points per target, uh, he's tops of any running back on this slate. So ahead of CMC, ahead of ETN uh, at 1.79. So uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's effective with his targets. The yards on the ground, probably not getting a ton, only three touchdowns on the year. But uh, no, yeah, Rashad, Rashad White's in the mix. He's not, nothing like stands out at running back this week. There's nothing where I'm going to illuminate something and say, hey, people have been missing this and this guy's going to smash. It's more about, um, we kind of have to pick and choose among these guys. So you could try to guess with a smaller pool or you could say, well, let me play these guys more intelligently than the field is playing them, either based on how I'm playing them within a game environment or how I'm pairing them or, um, you know, just just what I'm doing in other spots and just taking shots at running back. If someone said to you, hey, JM, I am in a punt running back with one of my spots, got to save salary. I'm going seven, uh, sub 5K. I'm debating between Najee Harris or Devin Singletary. Which one of those two gets the JM stamp? You have to choose one. Yeah, Najee Harris. I mean, Najee Harris has actually looked good recently. And um, this Pittsburgh offense is looking better. Uh, Green Bay's defense is not scary. So yeah, definitely Najee Harris of the two. But you know, it's not like I'm going to go out of my way to talk people off Devin Singletary either. Honestly, Jalen Warren is is in the mix as well. Um, you know, very explosive and typically he's getting double digit points. Just not enough touches to like, he's kind of overperforming to get double digit DraftKings points. And so it'd be really hard for him to crack like a 20 plus pointer, but kind of hard for Najee to do that too. So uh, yeah, I don't mind kind of going a few different directions um, there, but Najee would be my guy. All right. Uh, before we move on to wide receiver, just want to mention for those of you guys who are YouTube members, see a lot of you guys in the chat, like FF Doom, get you access to a few additional perks to premium shows. You get DFS After Dark on Saturday nights where I talk to people around the DFS industry, and then we build a lineup this week. I got uh, Tom from the Fantasy Sanctuary, does great work over on that YouTube channel. Excited to chop it up with him. He's even He lives in London, JM. He's going to be getting up at like 4 a.m. I haven't even done the math. Having biscuits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh appreciate Tom. That'll be a fun show. And then you get the GPP cram on Sunday mornings at 1045. That'll get all the updated thoughts with overnight news and kind of get you in the right frame of reference for building those lineups before lock. And then also we'll unlock the hand builders and opto bro discord, which is a great place to come hang out, talk DFS. You just sync your YouTube membership and your discord account. There's an FAQ on how to do that. And then uh, we also, uh, cram for the showdowns in there as well. So I'll share some information from Run the Sims, some of the leverage plays, all of that good stuff. So you can get some fun action and sweats down on every slate. Um, but Jam, let's move over to wide receiver now. I feel like we kind of hit on the stuff with Jamar Chase there at the top. So let's save some time for some of these other guys. You've mentioned how you're not normally a CD Lamb guy, uh, but this might be a good spot. On the high end, you do also have uh, Keenan Allen, of course, and Amon Ross St. Brown in that game. Um, maybe we save some Niners wide receivers talk for the building block. But where would you like to start the Week 10 wide receiver conversation? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that the top of the wide receiver pool isn't that attractive. Um, Pete, uh, quiz, am I playing Keenan Allen this week? Um, I am going to say... This is not at 8,800. This does not feel like a JM on Keenan Allen. I will not have Keenan Allen this week. Um, in fact, the the Lions, one of the best teams in the NFL, at forcing um, opponents to look at their second, third read in, in terms of passing attacks and uh, have not given up big games to alphas. On the flip side, um, you know, so the 
Amon Ross St. Brown's interesting because he is kind of in that Keenan Allen category in that he's popular because you look through his game log and it's like double digit points, double digit points, right? That feels so comfortable. He rarely hits for 30 plus. He's gone for 30 plus four times since the start of last year. Um, you know, so chances aren't typically high of him going for a 30 plus point game at, at this price tag. You would like a, a much higher shot than that. Justin Jefferson does it, you know, every other game on average. Um, and Amon Ra's kind of in that Justin Jefferson price range. Uh, at the same time, the I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the Chargers have allowed they allowed like 13 targets to Travis Kelsey, 13 targets to Devontae Adams, 13 targets to it's like four or five different alpha wide receivers they faced that they allowed 13 targets to and um, have allowed big production to multiple alpha targets. So this is a good spot for Amon Ra St. Brown to be the guy who hits for the Lions. Uh, interestingly, similar to the CMC thing, um, I said that Amon Ra's hit for 30 plus four times since the start of last year. Uh, Goff has hit in three of those four games. So, um, you know, a lot of people play Amon Ra as a one-off, but tying that in with Amon Ra plus Goff is an interesting way to gain some differentiation in that spot. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, it's kind of, I mentioned Jamar Chase, Amon Ra St. Brown. I mean, like CeeDee Lamb, I, I don't want to play him. And like I said, I've played him twice since the start of last year. So there, there is a chance that I trend all the way toward not playing him. Um, but I kind of brought him up and talked about him just to say, Hey, this is a spot where I might have some of the, some of him. If I do, I'll have some DAC, um, but not a, not a guy who really stands out to me. So um, yeah, that's the, that's kind of the top ends. Cause then you get down to like the Mike Evans and the Chris Alaves right. and the guys like that, where it's like, yeah, the ceilings there, the volatility's there. Um, that's the top really. Uh, we talked about Chase a good bit. It does seem like Tyler Boyd and Trent Irwin are going to be of interest to people. Tyler Boyd, you know, sliding in as the number two with Higgins out. And then we did see Trent Irwin earlier this year. I think it was that Cardinals game, right? Where Chase went off and Higgins was out, where Trent Irwin actually was the one who popped up as the number two there with a good game. He is the stone men. Any interest in the ancillary Bengals pass catchers? Yeah, uh, Trent Irwin's interesting. You know, Mixon's interesting just as, as far as an ancillary piece. Um, Boyd's interesting. I don't know that I'll necessarily go to Boyd myself, but uh, yeah, no, uh, Trent Irwin will be on my list, and I'll, I'm sure I'll have some exposure there. I don't, you know, I don't typically overthink these really cheap guys. It's like, is this yeah. guy cheap and does he have a big role? Um, then yes, you know, like I'll, I'll have as much uh, Quentin Johnston as Trent Irwin, and and people will be on Trent Irwin. They won't be on Quentin Johnston. It doesn't mean that one plays better than the other. It just means you know, to me, one play is not really better than the other. So you throw them both in. Uh, I get one of them at high ownership, one of them at low ownership. Uh, that all kind of works itself out from a strategy standpoint just on its own. What about Deontay Johnson? The price seems right to me at 5,400. Uh, it seems like people are going to be on him. This does not seem like a fun game environment. How do you think about Deontay Johnson here? In in terms of pre-touchdown PPR scoring through these last three games, he should be priced at like 7,200, but it's also three games, right? We have a much larger sample size from last year. His his ADOT actually is, and I think it's like 11.2 this year. It was 10.5 last year, um, pulling those off the top of my head so I could have those slightly wrong, but like there's not a big gap between his ADOT this year and last year. And so, uh, no, it does feel like something where, you know, we have a three-game sample size and everyone's like, this is the new setup for Deontay Johnson. And then... Maybe it's not, but uh, he's definitely on my list. You know, it, it's, I've got this whole list of kind of role secure, role certain fillers. And in, in other words, like I've got all these game stacks this week, right? Where I'll have like a lot of things built around Howell and two pass catchers, maybe even three pass catchers and Purdy plus a running back plus a pass catcher um, and Jared Goff plus a pass catcher or sometimes two pass catchers. So then who are the, and you know, a lot of those will have bring backs as well. So then you kind of have 
one spot left, two spots left for other wide receivers. So what am I filling around these stacks? So uh, I've got these role secure fillers. I'll, I'll, you know, leave it to the player grid for the whole list. But uh, Deontay is certainly on that list of, you know, guys who have the role and and they've got the floor. So then if something breaks right, they get the touchdown of the big play, then the ceiling can spring up from there. I'm not necessarily buying that this three game sample is, you know, because also this is coincided with George Pickens, you know, we had negative one receiving yeah. yard last week. This is coincided with George Pickens kind of falling off a cliff. And we know George Pickens has a ton of talent and there's go- going to be weeks where he's super involved and has a big game and probably at the, at the cost of Deontay Johnson being as involved. Uh, there's not that, that much, that many targets to go around in this offense, but uh, yeah, Pat Frying youth out. So that certainly helps with the usage for Deontay Johnson and uh, the matchup isn't good, but isn't, isn't awful against green Bay. So uh, Deontay Johnson, definitely interesting. I, I, he's one of those, I think people will like overthink it. It's like, is he a solid play? Yeah. Um, does he help you from any sort of strategy angle? No. Does he tie into anything else? No. Does he like, that's one of the things I like about Purdy is when like when Purdy hits, you've got this concentrated 49ers offense. So, you know, you're getting a lot of things, right. Um, a guy who just hits in isolation, it, it doesn't really matter that much unless he goes for like 28, 30 points. Right. So um, can Deontay get to 21, 22? He can, can he, finish at like 11, 12, 13, he can. So yeah, I'm not overthinking it. It's like, yeah, he's a solid play. He's in the mix for me. Um, by no means is he, like am I considering him just this super underpriced staple, but uh, definitely a guy who like stands out when you look at the numbers. Assuming Curtis Samuel is active, I think you could make a case for, you know, six different wide receivers in that Seahawks commanders game. Who are your favorites of of the bunch on both sides there? On the Seahawks side, it would rank JSN, then Lockett, then Metcalf, primarily just because you don't typically have monster games from Seahawks wide receivers. So, you know, price considered, that's the that's the order in which I want to go. On the commander's side, I don't think I have uh, a lean or a preference. You know, we know that it's easier to attack Seattle over the middle of the field. And so from that standpoint, it, it's Curtis Samuel. And if Samuel's out, it's, it's Jamison Crowder, who, you know, mm-hmm. nobody's going to play. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Seattle really hasn't played anyone. Like they've given up big games when they played good offenses and then they've played no one. And it's like, oh, and then, you know, Devin Witherspoon's great. And this pass rush is great. And it's like, they probably are. A lot of times when we say, oh, this team hasn't played anyone. And then they go play someone. It's like, oh, it still is what everybody thought they were. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I want to just overrate the matchup on the perimeter and say, okay, I'm not playing McLaurin or I'm not playing Dotson. Uh, I think kind of all these guys are, Similarly in the mix, it won't surprise me if, if I have just like basically the same ownership across the board on those guys. What about uh, the Jags, unless they, they will factor into our building block thing, but they're another offense. They might get Zay Jones back. It sounds iffy, but even without him, Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, we can kind of lump him into this conversation. How do you feel about the Jags opposite your Purdy love? Yeah, uh, said that um, today report was that Zay Jones is not going to play. So okay. uh, down to Kirk and Ridley again, Kirk is kind of in that role certain fillers type of category where you're like, man, this guy's going to get double digit points basically every week. And then something hits, you know, he has a 20 pointer, he has a 25 pointer this year, something hits and, you know, he has this really nice game. Uh, Calvin Ridley is in the other category, which is the low floor ceiling shots. So I've got a handful of those guys that I don't want those guys necessarily played together, but playing one of them with, you know, the role, certain fillers uh, or playing, you know, Ridley as part of a bring back um, Evan Ingram, just a brutal matchup. Uh, the um, 49ers have been awesome against tight ends, but Evan Ingram also zero touchdowns on the year. 
And I think he's averaging 11.5 DraftKings points per game. So that makes the math very easy for us in terms of pre-touchdown PPR points per game. He's averaging 11.5, which uh, means he's significantly underpriced. And so I don't want to necessarily overrate the matchup. Uh, I'll have Ingram, but only as part of my uh, 49ers builds. I'll have Kirk as a bring back. I'll have Ridley as a bring back. I'll have Etienne as a bring back. Uh, we didn't talk much about Etienne, but there's actually some, I mean, just in terms of usage, um, he's kind of up in that Christian McCaffrey category. And in terms of effectiveness with his usage uh, up in that category. So uh, all those guys are interesting. And then, you know, Kirk, so I'll probably have some Kirk and Ridley away from 49ers game stacks as well. A uh, couple other guys I want to touch on just because both of those uh, defenses have been a bit of pass funnels, but what are your thoughts on Deandre Hopkins, Mike Evans, we can toss Chris Godwin in there. And um, you had mentioned a little bit about that game environment, but how do you feel about those pass catchers? Yeah. I mean, uh, I like, I like, I like Hopkins a lot. I'll start there. Um, you know, similar to Deontay Johnson in that, you know, the only edge is whatever raw points he gets. So he doesn't stand out in terms of any factors besides, Hey, he can't have a big raw score, but he can have a big raw score. Uh, we know that teams pass against Tampa. We also know that Tennessee doesn't actually tilt their attack based on um, opponent setup. And so it's sort of a weird situation where I don't know that passing volume elevates for Tennessee the way it does for most teams in this matchup. Uh, they have shown over the years that it, it doesn't, but you know, it could still end up happening and Hopkins can hit for ceiling. So yeah, Hopkins in the mix. Uh, who was the other guy you just said? Uh, the, the box wide receivers, Evans and Godwin. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that was a little bit harder just because the price tags are like, yeah, they're, they're such ridiculous price tags on those guys, you know, and Evans had his big game, but it was against the bears and it was kind of, you could see that one coming from a mile away. I think it's the only time I've, I've rostered Evans this year was in that matchup where it was just like, Oh, well, Evans ceiling is pretty high here. Right. And he goes out and puts up, I think it was 32 points in that one. Um, but no, I mean, they're, they're not, they're not central to my thesis or approach this week, but I'm sure I'll end up with a little bit of them. Uh, they can hit, you know, the chances are, are low for the price tags, but they can hit kind of, they're kind of in that DK Metcalf type bucket where it's like, they're not going to hit that often, but they can. Right. And so yep. I might account for them a little bit. Uh, we got a lot of people watching today, hang out in the chat. Appreciate you guys. If you're new around this channel, make sure you subscribe. If you want to hit the like button, that helps us out. We do this show every single Friday, same time, 2 PM JM, JM and I chopping up the slate. I also do a portfolio review show on Monday. So I recap my DFS lineups, my underdog draft play, uh, Mondays at 10 AM. I do kind of an early underdog show on Tuesdays with the club where we'll hop in some NBA and NFL drafts. I do lulls on Thursday, a DFS show with another top pro, uh, Brick75. We interview a lot of people around the industry, get lots of good feedback on that. So get subscribed and uh, hit those notifications. You won't miss any of the shows. Um, but without further ado, it is time for us to build a lineup on DraftKings with some of Jam's favorite building blocks. All right. As always, we do have the uh, rake-free contest at DraftKings this week. It is a single-entry tournament jam. We are keeping the chill times rolling with 420 entries here. Uh, looks like we're at 300. It. 
in 11 right now. So a little more than a hundred to go. This has generally been filling up by uh, Saturday afternoon. So make sure you get registered the way to get this link. It is exclusively posted in the deposit kingdom discord in the announcements channel. I don't post it anywhere else. There's a link down in the show notes if you want to join the deposit kingdom discord, and then you can click the link there. And uh, I always review except one time, one time I forgot shit. Yeah. The achievers, I forgot to review your lineup, but generally I review the winning lineup on the portfolio review show on Monday. JM, you teased a Brock Purdy building block. I assume that's where we're going. Unless you're pulling an Arthur Smithian audible on me <laughs> the last second. What are we doing? I, wish here? I thought of that. <laughs> I, wish I thought of that. And then we just, we just roll out. Uh, if I, if I didn't care Heineke, about the show, yeah. that's what I do. We roll out something <laughs> totally different. Um, yeah. Draft, draft this guy number eight overall, and then just not not use him. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll throw Brock Purdy in there. Let's let's go with. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. So I'm gonna like the, again. It's Friday, but right now, as of right now, half of my builds this week could be Brock Purdy, okay. and it'll be it'll be a mix of Brock Purdy uh, with CMC and Ix, CMC and Debo, CMC and Kittle, Ix solo. Debo solo, Kittle solo. Uh, but on this one, I want to do the CMC one because it's, it'll be fun to kind of see what a build looks like here. Uh, CMC and let's go CMC and Aya can kind of squeeze this salary down um, and see what we can do with the rest of this roster from here. Again, this pairing uh, two different times this year has kept you on basically a 200 plus point pace. So, um, and again, like CMC isn't going to keep you on a 4X pace. He's not going to score 36, 37 points. But on this week where we might not see many if any of the cheap running backs going for you know 20 plus points if he goes for 26 28 29 points that ends up being really valuable this week just from, from raw points uh, and if he does that probably purdy plus of pass catchers hitting as well so uh, that's the way i want to start this one out if people are saying hey jam love this idea i'm locking in purdy cmc but i can't decide between Ayuk, debo and kittle are there any matchup kind of in the weeds tiebreakers or spots you like for any of these or is it just really all of these are uh eligible to go off for a big yeah game? all of them are, are eligible to go off you know we forget that the 49ers it was what was 10 of 11 games i think it was that so purdy's got these 14 starts the last three 49ers have not scored 30 plus points but before that, 10 out of 11 games, they had scored 30 plus points. And um, interestingly, you know, the Jags, like this is the one, okay, negative data point here, right? The Jags defense is really good. They're, they're top five in defensive DVOA, top five in DVOA against the pass, against the run, top five in EPA per play allowed. But also we saw this Houston offense, you know, with these same type of Shanahan concepts go in there and put up 37 points in Jacksonville. And, and we've got the 49ers with an extra week to prepare uh, this great 49ers offense. So I just want to look at it kind of like the, the Cowboys Eagles game last week where both teams are going to know they need to score points. It's like, yeah, both defenses are good, but both offenses are going to be aggressive throughout. Uh, so leaning into the opportunity for this to be a game where the 49ers score 30 plus points. And if they do, it could be Ayuk, could be Debo. Kittle's obviously the least likely typically when he hits it's because Debo or Ayuk is out, but uh, could be Kittle as well. So uh, I'll mix and match all of them and probably mix and match Ayuk and Debo at the same level as one another. Yeah. Yeah. Getting those $900 savings uh, from Ayuk down to Samuel, I'm sure could come in handy in some builds, but man, Ayuk is just playing so, so well this year. Uh, I'll ask my normal question here. We got three guys on the Niners. Are we playing this as kind of a, a more a pop-off game or is this, Hey, the Niners get theirs and we don't have to mess with any Jags. You know, it's interesting in um, a lot of these games where the, the, I went back through like all their games last year where the Niners hit uh, in a lot of these games, 
Uh, I think it was like only 40% of these like blow up games, or I, I guess it was all the games this year, 40%. So two out of these five games actually like, was there any reason to play a bring back? So three out of yeah. these five games were, were Purdy plus a pass catcher, Purdy plus CMC and a pass catcher is hit. Only only two of those five games has there been a bring back viable. So you could certainly play this as 49ers smash, no need for a bring back. Uh, at the same time, you have a really good offense, uh, concentrated offense. 49ers, you know, have been giving up some yards and, and catches and touchdowns to wide receivers. So I'm fine playing it either way. Uh, I'll probably... I'm definitely going to go more than 40% bringbacks, but I'll have, I'll leave some room with no bringbacks. Um, but because of the setup, the matchup, all that, uh, it's like this, like uh, when golf hits going back to the start of last year, only like 40% of the time has Amon Ross St. Brown actually hit with golf, but Amon Ross St. Brown will be on more than 40% of my golf rosters because the setup on this particular week elevates the chances of it being Amon Ross St. Brown. So similar here where it's like, uh, you know, the setup on this particular week elevates the chances of a bring back being viable. Um, so yeah, let's go, let's go um, Christian Kirk on this one. We're doing enough Love different it. here that we don't need to take on the low floor on Calvin Ridley. I'll have plenty of Calvin Ridley bring backs on these as well, but um, Christian Kirk on this one. And I know we're on DraftKings. I will mention Christian Kirk, one of the best um, scroll down plays in underdog battle Royale drafts. He's basically getting drafted 0% of the time uh, and it should be much higher than that. So uh, definitely on board with Christian Kirk this week. Um, what's the next direction we go now that we got a little game stack built out here? Yeah. I mean, obviously we're going to need to save salary somewhere. It would be, it's interesting to see like, do we have the opportunity to not save salary at defense? Because obviously the Cowboys defense stands out this week against Tommy DeVito. Um, so rather than going defense next and just seeing what we can do from there, uh, let's swing over to tight end where we might be able to save some salary uh, and find a tight end that we might feel comfortable pulling the trigger on. On this particular roster, I'm comfortable going with the chalk and going with Trey McBride, um, you know, probably going to see a good six, seven, eight targets in this spot. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going cheaper than that, Chigo Conquo is the one guy who kind of stands out a little bit, but uh, yeah, let's go ahead and throw Trey McBride in on, in on this one, make people happy. Yeah. Talk, talk a little, we, we sometimes uh, gloss over tight end partly that's because tight ends make us gloss over them, but uh, you know, Trey McBride had that massive game a couple weeks ago, uh, then had a Clayton tune game, which I feel like we can kind of write off still at five targets and now gets Kyler Murray. Can you refresh my memory as has Kyler historically liked to throw to the tight end? Like, how do you feel about this with all these kind of new variables introduced? I mean, there's so much we don't know because we've only seen Kyler in that Cliff Kingsbury offense. But yeah, I mean, Zach Ertz was last year. Zach Ertz was the same guy he was the first half of this year where, uh, you know, all the sharps are saying, don't play Zach Ertz. He doesn't have any ceiling. And yet everyone was playing him every week because he would see so many targets. And it's like, well, if you see that many targets, eventually you're going to trip into a touchdown or a bigger play or whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would expect, especially somewhat limited weaponry on this team. There's no real, you know, seeing Rondell Moore popping in, in, um, in ownership projections as if Kyler Murray is suddenly going to unlock Rondell yeah. Moore where his role doesn't justify him being unlocked. Right. It's really, it's Michael Wilson. It's, it's, Hollywood Brown and it's the tight end, right? That's kind of the the core right there. Obviously, James Conner will get some passes and they'll get some scheme touches to Rondell Moore. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is the type of spot where we could easily see um, anywhere from, you know, five to nine targets for Trey McBride. And given how unique I think the starting point will be on this roster, I don't mind just taking the chalk there and not overthinking things at the tight end spot. 
Do we want to go to defense now to kind of see what salary we're left with? It seems like people are going to be paying up for the Cowboys at 4,400. Obviously, a very nice spot for them as, you know, 18-point home favorites versus a Tommy DeVito giant squad. But outside of that, um, do you have some cheaper options you like? I mean, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the other options I like are, you know, the Ravens where Deshaun Watson has looked better and, and you know, this not the Cowboys taking on Tommy DeVito, but the Ravens consistently get it done. But then they're priced so close to the Cowboys that it's like hard to pull the trigger on spending that. Same thing on the Steelers playing against Jordan Love, who has been really generous to defenses, but they're only 600 less uh, than the Cowboys. So if we go down and we say, hey, where do we save some salary? I do think that the Bengals, you know, kind of flip through their game logs consistently there's i think it's two games this year five points everything else has been above that those are those have been their bad games uh you know the six pointers the 11 pointers 16 points 12 points uh 12 points was against seattle uh 11 against the rams so that's not not as impressive uh nine against san francisco at san francisco so uh this is one that we could uh certainly look at um and then the chargers who you know nobody's going to be on the chargers but i think they're an interesting kind of sneaky defense play that we don't typically pick on the lions but crazy things can happen. They could end up having a nice game, but no, the Bengals is kind of the sharp defense below three K that I see right now. And I also think it's sharp in that it does seem like there is going to be a ton of Bengals chalk, whether Jamar chase, Joe Mixon, we mentioned some of the punt wide receivers. So if you play this game as like, Hey, you know, Bengals defense, you know, takes care of things. If they get a defensive score and you could crater a ton of that chalk, um production there that's always a nice leverage angle to consider as well leaves us with a little over uh 5200 remaining for a running back a wide receiver and a flex i feel like we didn't really dive into a ton of the running back plays you necessarily loved Who, who's going to fill this rb2 slot for us it's funny how quickly uh, an hour can fill up isn't it um yeah you know i i kind of i'm tempted to go Bijan robinson because we've got arthur smith on the cover and He's a sharp play. Um, yeah, I mean, why don't we why don't we throw Bijan Robinson in here? Another way to go is is Tony Pollard because Tony Pollard yeah. would be saying like this is a way to bet on the Cowboys defense not having their big game. The Cowboys defense is putting up a thirty pointer. Then this is one of those spots where the Cowboys stars are resting deeper into the game and not as many opportunities for touchdowns. Uh, so Tony Pollard would be the other way to go, but we kind of squeeze our our salary pretty tight, and you know then we don't play into our cover boy and Arthur Smith, but. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess they're always squeezed pretty tight regardless. So, um, yeah, there's there's a couple ways we can go there, but but I'm fine either way. All right, let's let's leave that open then, and we'll we'll see which avenue we come back to. I would uh, prefer to get up to Tony Pollard. I actually am pretty excited about Tony Pollard in the spot, whereas I still just am so spooked uh, about Bijan, uh, even though it is a pretty good matchup. What what wide receiver would you like us to go to? Obviously, I think we're going to need to be uh, relatively cheap. Do you got anything in like the four to five K range? Yeah. Why don't we actually go ahead and let's throw Pollard in there because there is stuff okay. that we can do around this. Uh, Michael Wilson is still, uh, you know, we don't know if he's going to be active or not, but uh, Michael Wilson is, is very attractive this week if he ends up playing. So uh, let's go ahead and throw Michael Wilson on here in terms of just his targets and, and his usage. He's averaging 8.6 pre-touchdown PPR points per game with, you know, this quarterback carousel that they've had. Um, now he gets Kyler Murray. So, Already, he should be priced more like 4,300, and, and he's down here at 3,500. Now gets Kyler. Uh, and that gives us 4,900, which I feel like there are. Uh, da, da, da. 
uh, Christian Watson, Tyler Boyd, Shahid, uh, JSN, who we mentioned before, Quentin Johnston. Um, Derek yeah, Nagashi, a weird, weird salary range. Like we'd love to be able to get up to Dotson, or you know, we've already got um, Michael Wilson, so we don't need Hollywood Brown. But um, this is not our official roster that we're putting in play with money behind it. So <laughs> uh, let's not overthink it. Um, you know, in this in this range, I like. Let's see what we've got here. So we've got really solid floor play, like usage plays across the board. We do have two Arizona pieces, which I hadn't realized. Um, so probably not super sharp there. But um, yeah, let's go ahead and go Rashid Shahid, who's coming in for sub 1% projected ownership. Uh, and, you know, he's got this 18-pointer, got a 20-pointer, got a 27-pointer. Nobody ever wants to play him. Uh, that actually frees up our uh, Michael Wilson to go somewhere different. Since, since we've got Trey McBride already in there, we can go up to Quinton Johnston, who... I'm likely to play as part of stacks around that game. But, man, here's the thing. Detroit forces opponents away from their first read. Um, Detroit's really good against running backs through the air. And Quentin Johnston's out there every snap. And then he's coming off this three-target game where people are going to be like, I don't want to play Quentin Johnston. But the week before that, he had six targets. Uh, realistically, we should expect Herbert to throw the ball around 40-plus times in this spot against a Detroit defense that tilts opponents towards the air. So I expect Quentin Johnston to get in this five- to eight-target range, potentially even see some schemed usage. So – um, low floor, but a really high ceiling this week. I really like him. So, uh, yeah, like the way that, like the way that this ended up coming together. A couple high risk, high reward plays in Quentin Johnston, Rashid Shahid, which I might not try to do intentionally, but um, fits in nicely with, with what we have. Yeah, a couple just notes. Like literally, as you first mentioned, Michael Wilson, I did see it come across. Um, he is officially listed as questionable for Week Ten, as is uh, James Connor. A couple people talking about um, both Michael Wilson and Trey McBride in the same line. Like one thing I will just say, um, you know, when I've been messing around with some of the Sims and stuff, one thing that pops up a ton are these secondary stacks without the quarterback. Like we can only play one quarterback. You know, the benefits of the stack is we're eliminating the number of things we're getting right. So we're getting a, a niner stack in. You can still get a secondary stack without, you know, the quarterback. It's okay to have two pass catchers without the quarterback. And I think that sometimes trips people up like, oh, I can't play two pass catchers without their quarterback. It's like, well, you can if you're making another stack bet as well. And you're essentially stacking up two offenses. So that's just one note. I yeah, would I mean, it's, it's, you treat it like a 7K pass catcher who's going to see, yeah. you know, 11 to 15 targets, you know, which is which is pretty nice volume on a, on a price tag like that. Yeah, I also just laughing, Jam, because I remember it was it's probably like three to four weeks ago we built a team on here, and you're like, my God, I love that team <laughs> or whatever. And this week it was the opposite. You're like, not financial advice. This isn't going to be our final build. This is that. So this is showing you guys the range here. There's a reason these are practice builds. I see lots of suggestions in the chat. You guys want to make your individual pivots. That's the beauty of DFS. Take these ideas, take the info over at one week season, create a lineup that you like that makes logical, correlated sense in week uh, 10 here. As always, uh, head over to one week season. Uh, you can get 50% off now of those OWS, DFS, and Inner Circle subs with promo code PETE. 50 50% off the rest of the season there and the rest of the building blocks that JM is going to be mixing and matching uh, across his portfolio this week. You can find that written up in the scroll. Uh, I'm going to be headed over to the underdog daily channel immediately following this. Uh, me and the badge bros walk through the underdog slate battle Royale dog bowls, the 12 person drafts. And we even build some pick them entries. Love doing that show to um, wrap up the week of content. So head over there with us immediately following this. Anything else for you, Jam, before we get out of here? Nope. Looking forward to this weekend. Uh, we'll see you guys at the tops of the leaderboards. Yeah, perfect. One other thing I just wanted to mention, I have my uh, 
personal newsletter uh, that I put out on Fridays. And uh, I wrote a, a longer thing about my sweat last Sunday, JM, where I was dealing with these psychological battles of like one of my best DFS days. And yet I still felt sick to my stomach because I watched first slip through my fingers. And I was talking about loss aversion and how we actively have to work uh, against those psychological traps and actually relish and enjoy some of these moments when you have these scores, because they are so hard to come by these top 10. So if you'd like to read about that, you can subscribe to the PO box free newsletter, I do every single week. I got that link down below as well. Um, all right, I'm going to get JM off to pizza night. I'm headed over to the Underdog Daily channel. Thank you guys all for hanging out. You can come chill in the Deposit Kingdom Discord with us. And uh, yeah, we will see you on Monday where we will be recapping all of our teams at the top of the leaderboards. Peace. Peace.